Hello and welcome to The Kindness of Strangers, the student-friendly podcast based on A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Each episode we consider a character, theme or contextual factor you will need to master if you're studying the text at A-level. The Kindness of Strangers believes in mindful learning and that's why each episode will begin and end with a short exercise to aid your well-being as well as your study-friendly concentration. Happy listening! So today we're going to begin with the box breathing technique. This is a technique in which you need to imagine a square box with four sides in front of you. If it helps, close your eyes to do so, or just imagine it in front of you as you're staring ahead. And what you're going to do is imagine tracing up the left hand side and breathe slowly in for four seconds. One, two, three, four. Now tracing across the top, you want to pause for sort of four seconds. One, two, three, four. Tracing down the right hand side, breathe out for four seconds. One, two, three, four. And then lastly, going along the bottom, pause for another four seconds. And you might want to have a go at repeating this a few times to improve your breathing, concentration and how present you feel. This episode, we will be focusing in on our tragic heroine, Blanche Dubois, who intrudes upon the Kowalskis arriving on a streetcar named Desire. We'll be tracking Blanche's highs and lows, mostly lows, throughout the play, and how Williams uses her character to explore the plot's key themes and the wider problems of society. Flirtatious, fragile, flawed, let's delve into everything we know and can imagine about Blanche. Blanche's arrival. When Blanche arrives in the French quarter of New Orleans, it signifies disruption. She is the anomaly factor who is about to wade in on her sister, Stella, and her brother-in-law, Stanley's marriage. Her arrival being positioned in the very first scene further suggests the importance of her arrival to the direction of the plot. The story begins when she arrives. And how does she arrive? By car? By bus? No, she of course arrives by the play's namesake, a streetcar named Desire. Blanche, just like the tram's lines, is coming to where she must face the end of the line. Just as she has been in her life so far, Blanche, and perhaps by William's estimations, all of us, are on a one-way journey through life, led by our own desires. And where does that one journey ultimately lead us? Towards death, Blanche's ultimate but inevitable fear. And once she gets there, to Elysian Fields, I mean, not death, she will have many more encounters with desire before the play ends. Desire to forget her past, desire to rekindle her bond with her sister, desire to make an honest woman of herself with Mitch, desire to seduce the paper boy, and so on. Once she arrives at Elysian Fields, she is presented as lost in an unfamiliar world, both literally and metaphorically. Her appearance is described as uncongruous to her surroundings. Williams uses the stage directions to make it 100% clear that she does not belong here. She does not fit in. She is an alien in unknown terrain. 
Her disbelief of where she has found herself being the home of her dear sister shows her ignorance and elitism, factors that will very soon lead to confrontations. But apart from snobbery, Blanche's questioning may show genuine concern for her sister's circumstances, knowing them to be beneath her family standards and only wanting the best for her. One of Blanche's fatal flaws, though, is her prejudice. It is no accident that Williams places diversity at the play's opening with the easy conversation between a black woman and a white woman, only to show the problems Blanche's prejudice will cause in a place of America where diversity is, and familiarly for Blanche, the norm. She not only shows the classism and prejudice against Stella's humble but happy living arrangements, but quickly uses derogatory language casually when referring to Stanley as a Polak, a term he later takes offence to and agitatedly corrects her ignorance. Quickly, upon her arrival, it is startlingly evident to the audience that Blanche and her sister Stella are almost polar opposites in every way. Blanche's performance in the first scene shows her to be dominant, uptight, guarded, prejudiced, troubled and narcissistic. While Stella appears passive, relaxed, open, tolerant, carefree and more than anything quite alarmed by the behaviour of her older sister. Perhaps Stella can already see a huge shift in Blanche's mentality from when she saw her last an advantage not afforded to the audience that allows us to see the dire state in which Blanche is already in at the beginning of the play. Her tragic past. Blanche arrives at the Kwaski residence with more than just her valise. This woman has baggage. This tragic heroine emerges from a tragic past. It's no wonder her mental health is in such decline. More on this later. The first we learn is of the loss of Belle Reeve, the family home passed down from generations, the home in which Blanche and Stella grew up as sisters, the home which signified her elite standing in the world. Stella having left, Blanche lays it on thick. Relatives dying here, there and everywhere, death upon death, funeral upon funeral, mounting bills and outgoings. It became too much for Blanche to afford or handle. It was lost. It is clear Blanche feels great guilt and shame over losing Belle Reeve when she admits this so early on in scene one. It is a signal to her of her incompetence and failure. Later, we learn that Blanche lost her husband when she was very young, Alan. As she explains the story to Mitch later in the play, it seems as though Blanche discovered Alan was gay or bisexual and caught him being unfaithful to her. They are said to go out dancing afterwards, after their discovery. Blanche, Alan and Alan's friend, pretending as if nothing happened. To the audience, Blanche exemplifies unhealthy coping mechanisms as her pretense crumbles on the dance floor, expressing her disgust for who she has found out he truly is. Immediately following this, he runs off and shoots himself. Blanche has to live with the guilt of the impact of her explosive and hurtful comments. She also has to live with the unresolved hurt he caused her, and the trauma of her ki husband killing himself. As Stanley makes it his mission to dig around and find out the dirt on Blanche, his sources inform him that she was said to frequent a certain Hotel Flamingo. Some of the euphemisms used in the play are read as indications that Blanche may have been soliciting sex, satisfying her needs to be wanted and reclaiming lost money through prostitution. 
Other critics feel this is a stretch too far, but that instead, Blanche's past is pictured as being one of loose morals, casual and frequent sexual encounters, and gaining herself a reputation as being easy and trouble. Stanley's discovery seemed to suggest Blanche was outcast because of her deviant sexual behaviour, bringing shame upon herself and the family name. But as Stanley's sources delve a little deeper for him, they discover another troubled and tragic part of Blanche's life that has led her to seek refuge and renewal in New Orleans, the dismissal from her school. Blanche has played down her ability to have a break from her teaching profession to visit her sister, but Stanley finds out the story, just like many others, are not quite what they seem. He discovers that Blanche was fired from her teaching position for pursuing a relationship with a 17-year-old student. This discovery for the audience takes Blanche's behaviour to new lows. Her self-esteem issues and insatiable sexual desire have crossed lines and become deeply problematic. So having lost her husband at a young age, lost Belle Reeve, lost her reputation and lost her job, Blanche really does come into the play and the Kowalski's life with nothing. She's already at rock bottom. All she has left to lose is her mind. Mental decline. One of the key themes of the play is madness or mental health and the downward trajectory of Blanche's mental decline is integral to the plot of A Streetcar Named Desire. As well as perhaps having a predisposition to some of her mental health issues, the tragedy and trauma of her past is bound to have had an effect on her resilience and ability to cope in an unforgiving world. These moments of past trauma are intrusive in her present day life, and William's use of the motif of the Varsaviana music illustrates through auditory form how disruptive Blanche's thought processes must be. She is a character under immense mental strain who has to process and deal with or not deal with the many circumstances she has already endured. The Valsaviana takes Blanche back to the fatal night on which Alan killed himself and therefore returns her to her trauma, guilt, shame and loneliness again and again and again. So how do Blanche's traumas manifest themselves in her current and declining mental health in the play? One of Blanche's biggest issues is her fixation with youth, ageing and mortality. Blanche often appears self-obsessed, self-conscious and shallow in how she fixates on her appearance. However, to Blanche, her appearance equals her youth and desirability. Once she loses her looks, she loses her appeal and ability to connect with others through sex. When she loses this, she is only heading in one ageing direction towards the inevitable of death. Staying young and desirable means avoiding the inevitable. She is so terribly frightened of being alone and forgotten. Fixations and fears felt terribly by Tennessee Williams throughout his life. How else do we see Blanche's instability? Through her compulsive lying and inability or unwillingness to decipher between fantasy and illusion. Blanche omits details in the circumstances surrounding her departure from her job and Laurel. She lies or fantasises about Shep Huntley coming to rescue her. She downplays the failings of her and Mitch's half-blossomed start of a relationship. In scene nine, in one of the raw scenes we see her, she admits that she doesn't want realism, but magic. Realism is too hard. Magic is an escape. 
And so she intentionally or unintentionally shuns the real and creates the magic and fantastical, drifted more into that world as the play goes on, retreating into her own safe haven of pretense. With Blanche's tendencies to bend the truth, does this help the other characters believe that she would make up something as serious as Stanley's rape at the close of the play? Another one of Blanche's coping mechanisms is her heavy drinking. Williams knew much about using alcohol as a means of coping or escaping. Her secrecy surrounding her consumption of alcohol concerns us from scene one, where she sneaks drink from Stella and Stanley's apartment and covers up the evidence. This excessive drinking escalates throughout the play and things become harder to cope with. Blanche is not a social drinker, unlike Stanley, which makes the habit more problematic. She is alone drinking before she kisses the young man who calls for the paper. She is alone drinking when Mitch calls on her, also drunk, later in the evening on her birthday. She is alone drinking later in the same evening in scene 10 when Stanley returns from the hospital and the worst happens. Her drinking signifies her inability to cope throughout the play and serves to numb her from the world she can soon no longer live within. For a modern audience, we are troubled by the lack of sensitivity or knowledge demonstrated towards Blanche's clear and worsening issues. Stella just thinks her nerves are bad. Stanley thinks she's crazy. Mitch doesn't know what to make of her. In the time Williams was writing, people had no clue how to talk about or deal with mental health issues. Those with less than perfect mental health were ignored, dismissed, ridiculed or marginalised. None of the other characters in the play have the tools to help her as they have no baseline knowledge or experience on when to start. How would things have been different for Blanche in today's context? How would she have been better supported? How would she have been enabled to overcome her own demons? How would she have been able to continue as a fully functioning member of society? Our modern context is all, with all of the growing knowledge and understanding that we have of mental health issues, provides such an interesting angle on the reception of the play. Williams as Blanche, or Blanche as Williams. The more you read about Tennessee Williams and the more you read about Blanche Dubois, it is clear how the two are intertwined. Following the production of the play, he openly admitted in interviews that he identified with Blanche, in a context where not many other people could or wanted to admit anyway. The lifelong suffering of coping with his emotions and thoughts and feelings is one explored in Blanche's character, as is the criticism of how these troubles are dealt with by the individual and those who surround them. At first glance, Blanche is a woman growing insane in a sane world. On closer inspection, Blanche is escaping the insane through retreating into herself and her own distorted versions of reality. This really shines a light on the madness of not just individuals, but of the world they must endure. Through Blanche, Williams depicts a tragedy he saw in his sister who was hospitalised and lobotomised and which he feared for himself. Blanche is let down by her sister, as Williams felt he let down his sibling. Blanche is victim to her own mental deterioration, similar to how William's mind deteriorated throughout his life, pushed more so by the pressures of fame and pressure. 
Coincidentally, Williams was hospitalised by his own brother in his later years because of concerns over the severity of his mental health issues. So he later mirrors the fate of Blanche at the close of the play. Further, Williams aligns with Blanche through being a sexual deviant and sexual outcast. Like Blanche's insatiable appetite for sex is a great taboo for a woman of the time, so was Williams' homosexuality. Their nature was shunned and vilified by society, even though it was such an innate part of who they were. Whilst Williams never felt comfortable enough to fully disclose his homosexuality to the world, he is able to play around with questioning what is so very wrong about not fitting in with what a society deems the norm in conventional sexuality, through Blanche. For our more liberal, modern standpoint, we question what the big deal is when it comes to whether Blanche wants to sleep around or not. The same as modern audiences wouldn't see the big deal in Williams being gay. Williams was able to use his own experiences as an outsider to criticise the fixed norms we create around things like sexual behaviour in society. So in many ways, Williams does really put a lot of himself into Blanche and he allows himself to use his artistic licence to express many of his lived experiences and criticisms. A tragic figure. The play is certainly a tragedy, yes, but is Blanche our tragic heroine? Also yes. A tragic hero or heroine is more of a literary device rather than a character. It means to do something to a protagonist in a tragic work or literature. For many, a tragic hero is a character that demonstrates the consequences that ensue from having and exhibiting particular personal flaws or being doomed by a particular fate. Traditionally, the purpose of a tragic hero or heroine as a technique is to evoke pathos or fear in an audience or reader through what we see on the stage or on the page, a downfall that could happen to us. Tragic heroes or heroines do tend to have virtuous or redeeming features, which Blanche does not really possess. However, what Blanche does have is a whole back catalogue of traumatic baggage that completely explains why she is the way she is. She is not a compulsive liar, alcoholic and narcissist for no reason. The audience can clearly sympathise with what has led her to where she is in her life. Another conventional aspect of tragedy is the ability to take the audience on a series of highs and lows where our hopes as an audience are raised only to be shot down again. Hope, then tragedy. Hope, then tragedy. Hope, then tragedy. Through a streetcar named Desire, whilst Blanche's downfall does seem inevitable, Williams does work in moments of hope and redemption for our heroine. She has the chance of a new life and love with Mitch. She has the potential to dote on a little baby Kowalski as a loving auntie. She comes this close to looking as though she's getting through to Stella about the inadequacy of her and Stanley's relationship. But each time she is knocked back down and each time it gets a little bit harder to get back up. Blanche's mental health is chipped away at bit by bit. And whilst hope remains in flashes and glimmers, she is worked down into the ground. Symbolically so, as she falls to her knees on three occasions at the end of the play, following her fumbling failure with Mitch, just before she is raped by Stanley, and just before she is taken off to the mental asylum in the final scene. 
Can Williams make it any more clear? She is down on her knees at the mercy of the cruel world in which she must continually suffer. In Blanche, the audience sees their worst fears made possible. So let's finish with 10 top quotes that you should definitely talk about if writing up an essay on Blanche Dubois. From scene one, the stage directions read, there is something about her uncertain manner as well as her white clothes that suggest a moth. The pre-modifiers in here, uncertain and white, and the kind of end focus on the moth suggest delicacy, fragility, and the danger of Blanche getting burned by the light, like a moth. In scene two, emerging from the bathroom, she says, here I am, all freshly bathed and scented, and feeling like a brand new human being. Here, the hyperbole and the exclamatory tone shows just how kind of rejuvenated she feels and shows that bathing is a source of cleansing and renewal for Blanche, hence why she spends so much time doing it in the play. In scene three, as she wants the paper lantern to be put up, she says, I can't stand a naked light bulb any more than I can a rude remark or a vulgar action. Here she uses the negative modal, I can't, and the pre-modifiers, rude and vulgar, to suggest that the light, a naked light bulb, just like the kind of like rudeness or vulgarity of other people, um, is offensive and hard to take for her. Later, right at the end of scene three, after Stanley has hit and lashed out at Stella, Blanche says there's so much confusion in the world. Here, she uses the declarative to state things as they are. She uses the intensifier so to emphasise how much confusion she feels there is. And what's interesting is that Blanche actually makes the most sense. She is the most sane in this situation. In scene five, Blanche says, I'm fading now. And the adverbial now shows her fear that the process has already begun and it shows how scared she is of being lost and losing her beauty and her youth. In scene eight, Stella tells Stanley when talking about Blanche, but people like you abused her and forced her to change. The contrastive conjunction here shows that Blanche was kind of victim to other people's actions and that maybe she wouldn't have got to the place that she has now without the input of other people. And she's also kind of depicted in passive voice by the way that Stella's describing her. It shows her to be a victim of circumstance. At the beginning of scene nine, Williams uses the stage directions, the music is in her mind. And this is the first time he explicitly tells us that the music we're hearing on stage, such as the blue piano and the Varsoviana, are actually the fragments of Blanche's mind and that we're just hearing it for the audience's benefit. So the prepositional phrase in her mind shows how Williams is using this as a dramatic device and a motif so that we're able to understand Blanche's mentality. Later in scene nine, she uses the two quotes, I don't want realism and I'll tell you what I want, magic. The juxtaposition between those two ideas shows that Blanche creates and crafts an, uh, her own reality for herself that's much more tolerable than the real world. 
At the end of scene nine, she is said to fall to her knees in the stage directions. In scene 10, she sinks to her knees. And in scene 11, Blanche cries out and slips to her knees. The parallelism between the stage directions shows Blanche giving up in the face of adversity. In some of the final lines of the play in scene 11, Blanche says, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. Obviously, the name of this podcast and the end focus on strangers here shows that Blanche cannot depend on those close to her and that her connections with others are limited. So as we come to the close of today's podcast episode, we're going to finish with a very quick well-being exercise, which is mindful observation. So what you need to do is choose an object from within your immediate environment and focus on just watching it for about 30 seconds or longer if you want to. And if you can, it would be better if you focus on a natural object, maybe if you've got a plant in the room or if you can look outside the window and see something near. But it can be anything that you want to really. And the idea is to just kind of switch off from the rest of the world and just concentrate all of your mindfulness on this one object. So I don't, I want you to pick something now and don't do anything except notice the thing you are looking at. Simply relax into watching it for as long as your concentration allows it. Look at this object, even though you may have seen it many times before, as if you are seeing it for the first time. And try to pick up on all of the things that maybe you have noticed before about it. Visually explore everything about it, everything that you can see or infer, and just allow yourself to be consumed by its presence. And then feel free to stay with it a little bit longer. But when you're ready, you can switch off from that and come back into the room and get on with whatever you need to be doing. It's just 30 seconds out to just concentrate and take your mind off whatever's bothering you today and to just focus on one specific thing. Really improves your ability to focus and concentrate as well. brings us to the end of this episode hope you found that really informative and you've learned lots about Blanche Dubois or it's served as a useful kind of summary and reminder and consolidation of your knowledge that you already had um, a good thing to do would be to maybe go away and apply some of those uh, wider concepts and kind of categories that we've been through in the podcast um, to your notes and also maybe to think about then mapping out different scenes and quotes against those kind of main categories um, as that will help you form a whole kind of essay when approaching a whole text question. But until next time, um, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you're looking forward to the next episode and take care of yourselves. Bye now.